Hello, friends. Welcome to the Crank and Boom podcast. I am your host, Tao Green. I opened a Thai restaurant with my family 17 years ago that has since morphed into a multi-million dollar ice cream business. I have the honor of leading 40 plus teammates to fulfill our company's mission, create joy, ignite laughter, and inspire compassion. And now I get to share my experiences of building this incredible business with you. On the show, we chat all things small business, family, and life, and how we can do it all with a bit more purpose and in community. I am so glad that you're here. This is the Crank and Boom Podcast. I've talked on the show before about how involved I am in local organizations that support small businesses. I'm always on the lookout for partnering with other small businesses, city chambers of commerce, or local government initiatives. These relationships and partnerships have tremendously contributed to the growth and success of Crank and Boom. It's also just been a joy to work with people who care about the culture and success of their own city and local economy. I really think that it's one of the best ways to succeed as a small business, getting active with local partnerships. Whether your passion is baking cupcakes, curating a cheese shop, or designing home interiors, harnessing your deep passion for your business and other people's passions can buoy your business during hard times and even drive new avenues for growth. Today, I'm going to be chatting with an amazing foodpreneur who has a strong background in baking and advocating for small businesses, two of my most favorite things. Martin Sorge is the winner of the sixth season of The Great American Baking Show. Yes, Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith themselves named Martin the winning baker on a spinoff show of the beloved Great British Bake Off. Martin is a home baker, recipe developer, and food writer based in Chicago. He has loved baking since he set the microwave on fire, making a biscuit as a wee youngster. Luckily, he's been doing a little bit of learning since then. As a self-trained baker, Martin was taught by dozens of blogs, a vast cookbook collection, the local public library, and the people around him. Because he's loved the communities where he's grown up, he has also spent countless hours helping small businesses thrive within their cities and neighborhoods. As a former economic development coordinator and now small business consultant, Martin understands the vibrancy that small businesses create for their communities. I cannot wait for you to hear our incredible conversation together. So let's get into it. So Martin, welcome to the Crank and Move podcast. We are so, so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk on multiple levels. Oh, yes. We have a lot of things to talk about. But to kick it off, I would love to just hear what is your story? How did you get to where you are today? So I'm originally from Indiana, and my background kind of has two paths. As I grew up, I always worked for really great small businesses, high school and college that really cared about their employees and providing great customer service. And as I went to graduate school, I really wanted to devote my career to supporting small businesses like that because they're really what make communities vibrant, what give back to communities, and what create unique senses of place in every place. And so that's really what I've spent my career doing is working to support small businesses and economic development. Through that, actually, a lot of the small businesses I worked for were food-related, whether a coffee shop or a small winery. And so I've always been kind of a foodie. I kind of was raised that way, not in the pretentious way, but just to know what produce was in season, where to get the best local apples and tomatoes and 
So I've always loved food and I kind of had a side hobby of baking for the past 10 or so years. And I've slowly like built my baking repertoire until suddenly I found myself on the Great American Baking Show and just happened to win that one. So spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did you get on the show, which is amazing in itself, but the fact that you won. And I'm a big fan of the show. I've seen the different iterations of the British one. And I call it like one of my comfort shows. Absolutely. It's just soothing and it's a great show. And I think it's wonderful that it's home bakers that are inspiring other people who are not necessarily in the industry, but just love baking and making food. Was it something in your childhood that gave you that love of baking? So I always baked with my family, Christmas cookies, making apple crisp or apple pie. But my parents, I think, just appreciated really good food. So it was also when we were on vacation, like visiting the local diner because they had great pie. And then I always loved to cook, but I actually wasn't a very good baker. Baked a little bit as a child, but I wasn't very good at it because I didn't like to measure or be precise. I like to play with things. But then one day I said, I bet if I actually follow the recipes and measure my ingredients, I can do this. And so I started with just a simple loaf of bread because it's cheap ingredients, easy to put together. And then I kind of got hooked and wanted to try every sort of baking repertoire there was out there. And that ballooned into making croissants and complex things that really are a big feat for a home baker and kind of more weekend projects. I just kind of got a little bit obsessed. How did you end up on the show? Was it something that you had watched previous shows and thought, I would just love to do that? What was that process like kind of with your mindset? And then also, how does that even work? It seems like it's a pretty complex process to get on a big show like that. Like you, I've always been a fan of the Great British Baking Show and the Great American Baking Show. And one year I just said, you know, I'll fill out this really long, complicated application and see what happens. I thought, I'm not really a competitive person per se, but I thought it would be really fun to challenge myself and also to meet other bakers. The show doesn't have a cash prize, so it's actually a pretty good competitive environment because you're competing, but you're not competing for $100,000, so it's not as cutthroat. And I thought, this is really my vibe. I never expected to make it. And when I did, it was kind of both shock and excitement. What was your favorite item that you made on the show? And then also, what is something that's unexpected that happened on the show that was not what you thought would happen going in? Oh, my favorite. That's tough. Because I really tried to put things I love in every bake that I had. I think I have two favorites. So one of my favorites was my finale showpiece, which was just a giant ear of corn with a lot of corn flavors to really send it back to my Midwestern roots. And then one of my favorite things in the world to make is ice cream. Yes. So we got to make an ice cream cake and I was just so excited to get to make ice cream. (laughs) So I did peanut butter and chocolate. Everybody loves that combination. And I was just so happy it turned out as well as it did. Incredible. Yes, we're going to have a whole conversation about ice cream as well. So (laughs) put a pin in that because we'll definitely circle back around. And what was something that was unexpected that happened? Just the whole experience of going on the show. I think what was unexpected for me was how much it would challenge me personally, both with stamina doing things outside of my normal baking repertoire or things I was comfortable with and really just working hard. 
and then keeping a good attitude about it. There were times preparing for the show or being on the show where I got frustrated with things. And I said, the only thing I can control here is my attitude and really just push through it, ask for help or support from friends and family when I need to. And also the other bakers on the show, we are really supportive of each other. So trying to just create that positive attitude when we can to get through, I didn't think how much that would change my overall mindset in terms of even life goals to say, hey, I can do really hard things if I put my mind to it. What an amazing feat to get on the show, to do something challenging, completely out of your comfort zone. The idea of going on a cooking show completely terrifies me. So I uh, admire you so much for everything that you have accomplished. So kudos to you. And so what has life looked like after the show, once it aired and once you won? What did life look like and what does life look like now? It looks pretty similar. So since being on the show, one thing I've always wanted to do is do a little food writing and recipe development. I've always done that even way before I was on the show. And I always thought about writing a cookbook for my family and friends who always asked me for my recipes. And now I thought, oh, maybe more people might want to read my cookbook. So I developed a cookbook proposal. I started a newsletter to share some of my recipes. And I've had some articles in Food and Wine and local media here in Chicago. So that's been really great. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone who grew up loving food and I think your family was probably similar to mine in that we would finish a meal and then we'd talk about what the next meal would look like and then we'd start planning. I have a four and a six-year-old and the little one loves cooking with me. She's also food obsessed. So we'll finish one meal and she's like, well, what are we having for dinner? I was like, oh, you are my child. Having a little clone walk around. But now that you're in this food space and you get to do it for a living and you're developing these recipes, does it feel like what you've wanted to accomplish has happened? Or how do you approach these things that happen? Is it just you're pursuing the next thing that you feels right for you? Or has having a cookbook been a dream that you've always feel like maybe you manifested and worked towards? I never thought I would do this as more of a professional setting or have a platform that would allow me to do that. So I always wanted to do it maybe just for myself or for friends and family. And now I think, oh, maybe I should be a little more ambitious with my goals. And I think that that's something that a lot of people could do, even if they weren't on a TV show. Be a little more ambitious and set your goals a little higher than you might want to. And so that's what I've done. And I'm really just taking it one step at a time, but trying to put myself out there in a way that's maybe more than I would have done before, because I don't like self-promotion, so to speak. And so that piece of it is a little bit hard, but you have to share what you're doing or nobody's going to know about it. I know that from my professional work too. So I'm just trying to take things one step at a time. I do have a few goals. I do have a few ideas where I'm like, oh, this doesn't exist. I would really love to do this or write this book about this particular topic. So I have some ideas where I'm like, okay, now I can maybe make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. The self-promotion part is always hard, especially if that's not something you're used to. And I always advise when I talk to people, I was like, you're robbing the world of your greatness if you don't share it. And it's not a selfish thing. If you are genuine in what you're creating and what you're wanting to share and want to help other people, when you share, it won't feel like something selfish. It'll feel like you're sharing something that is going to be helpful. You have experience working with small businesses and have you worked within like Chamber of Commerce or can you expand a little more on what that work and experience look like? 
I worked for a bigger nonprofit that was essentially an association of small business organizations, really on the sort of sustainability and social impact side of things. And then I spent the past eight or nine years running or working in small chambers of commerce and economic development organizations here in Chicago before working for our local government doing similar work. So yeah, I've really spent my career kind of connecting small business owners, working to support them. And what you said really struck a chord with me because one of our goals was to actually connect these, you know, I call every small business owner an entrepreneur and connecting them with each other so that they can A, not feel alone, but also learn from, grow from, get resources from one another because we all do better when we're in community together. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, especially when you're starting out, you want to present yourself to the world or you present whatever it is you're producing or your service, and you want to look like you've got your stuff pulled together. And so it's hard to ask for help Mm -hmm. because you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. But the secret is nobody knows what they're doing. For me, a big switch was when I found a mentor and she has all these restaurants in in our community and she's this icon in our industry. And she would say to me, oh, I don't have it figured out. I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't have it figured out. (laughs) Then maybe it's okay if I don't have it figured out. And so when you were working with different small businesses, what were some trends or challenges that you would see that was a commonality in those small businesses? I think one of the big ones is kind of evolving with the times. I worked specifically in a really diverse neighborhood called Uptown here in Chicago for many years. We had a lot of immigrant entrepreneurs and refugee entrepreneurs from various backgrounds. So it was really connecting across cultures, getting some folks who maybe were business owners of an older generation to adopt new technology or market themselves in new ways or to new audiences, really getting them to think, hey, what's new? What's way to expand your business or help sustain it? And yeah, a big one is connecting them to each other and to resources, especially entrepreneurs who are, say, cooking or they're not sitting at their computer or have time to take coffee all the time. How do you connect them with the resources that they need when they're behind the counter or in their shop or in the kitchen? So it's really connecting them to the resources and also helping them figure out like what they might need because they might not have actually spent the time to work on their business to think, what do I need right now? They know there's a problem, but they're not really sure what the solution is. So it's sitting down with them. And the question I would always ask first is, tell me about your business. Tell me your story. And then you can start to see, oh, here's a place where I can introduce you to another business owner that has that same challenge and overcame it or oh, this is a business owner that can be your accountant or help you with your marketing efforts because a lot of that is just connecting them to each other or potentially other mentors, which like you said, is really important. When you're in the throes of managing your small business and stress levels are getting high, sometimes you just got to reach for that comfort bagel or comfort pizza. One of my favorite ways to do this is through Gold Belly. They have the best comfort foods from any region of the country and can deliver it right to your door. Whether you need ribs and pulled pork from Memphis or lobster rolls from Maine, Gold Belly curates the best of each region so you can enjoy it without any of the stress. Head to goldbelly.com and treat yourself to amazing comfort food so you can keep powering up your business. That's goldbelly.com. And don't forget to grab a comfort pint of Crank and Boom ice cream while you're there.
If you've been here for a while, you know that I incorporate community in everything I do. It fuels every decision I make about my life and my company. Our beloved sponsors, Holly Hill & Co., also share the same love for community. In fact, their love of community is why they work so hard to highlight local produce in all nine of their Central Kentucky restaurants, like Zim's in downtown Lexington, Honeywood at the Summit, and the historic Holly Hill Inn in Midway. So you can experience what it means to connect the farmer and the food to your family's table. And now they've expanded their offerings to the community by opening a new cooking studio and retail store. You can take cooking classes with the very famous James Beard nominated chef Weta Michael herself and learn about how to make the most out of your farmer's market hall or how to craft the perfect bourbon menu. And while you're there, shop the handcrafted goods and thoughtfully curated gift sets for your friends and family. Learn more about their new cooking studio and retail store in downtown Versailles, Kentucky by visiting hollyhillandco.com. Again, that's hollyhillandco.com. And let them know Tal from the Craig and Boom podcast sent you. And now you are a business owner, so you get to take all of the stuff that you have learned from helping other people to develop your own business. So how does that feel, kind of stepping into that space after all the experience that you've had? It's been a little scary. I get that. Am I doing the right thing? Do I know what I'm doing? But the first thing I did for my kind of two businesses going on, one is my sort of economic development consulting business. So When I started that a little over a year ago, the first thing I did was just connected with people, other folks I know in either that sector or other folks I know who have had a background of kind of independent consulting and business owners. And I surrounded myself with some folks that I would call my mentors or my advisors who would tell me, oh, here's a draft contract that I used for projects or, oh, here's a resource to connect with other folks. And some of those have really turned around to pay off because I've talked to them and they said, hey, do you want to collaborate with me on a project or go in with me to bid on a contract together? Or they said, oh, hey, I just met somebody else that I think might be a helpful person for you to connect with. So it's really just staying open, telling folks what you're up to and letting folks know what you're scared about or nervous about. Yeah, it is scary. I think even though for me, we've been doing a lot of similar things, we make a product and sell it, and hopefully people eat it and enjoy it. But as we are developing new pieces of the business, and we have this podcast, and like we do new things, it still feels terrifying. And I wonder, is this a good idea? It's probably not a good idea. But sometimes we just have to try it anyways. And for me, the regret of not trying is way worse than failing and falling on my face and looking like a crazy person, which I'm pretty much okay with at this point. But what's a mindset that you feel like is good for entrepreneurs to adopt, one, as they are starting out, and then two, as they are maybe more seasoned, but we're always trying to adopt and adapt to the times? How do you feel like those two mindsets are a little bit different? So I think really as an entrepreneur, if you keep the mindset like you have is that always be connecting with other folks, making sure that you are reaching out both to tell people about your business and what you're doing and don't hesitate to ask for help or share challenges when you have a trusted friend or a partner. So working with your local chamber of commerce or other sort of business network, even if it's a sector-based business network, 
is use those resources that are out there because there's other business owners that are there that want to help you and connect with you. Even if you think, oh, this person is so successful or, oh, they're probably so busy, they see you as a peer and good business owners want more folks like them in the space. So that's always say, you know, always be connecting is a key thing. And then for business owners, you need to spend some time working in your business, making the product, supporting your team, but also always working on the business. So looking at the big picture, planning for the future. I think that's something to always carve out 20% of your time. That might seem like a lot, but to work on your business and thinking about how you can do things better or what the future looks like or how to improve what you're doing. Those are the two big tips I would give a lot of people. Connect and spend some time working on your business. Yes, that is such good advice. That's my problem. I love ideas and I get lost in chasing squirrels and be like, oh, that's shiny thing that I want to pursue. So being able to say, no, I need to be disciplined and really focus on these things because if I put my time in this thing, it's going to make this many dollars of impact. Whereas the shiny thing is this unknown that will probably just eat up my time and not do anything for the business. And so you and I have something else in common with our experience in the Chamber of Commerce, because I've been on our local Chamber of Commerce board for at least the last five, six years. I've kind of lost count, but I work specifically in the leadership programs, but I love our local chamber because I call it non-sucky networking. People have networking events and you go to them and they feel weird, but I find that being a part of a group like the Chamber of Commerce where they have events and you can participate in committees, you can volunteer, then you can meet people without it feeling weird. And so do you have any advice for people who don't necessarily like the traditional networking and how they can connect with other people in a meaningful and non-sucky way? Absolutely. And thank you for your service on the board of directors. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Having worked with a lot of boards, it's wonderful to have folks that take their time to help other businesses. I think one thing is, is connect with a local business network. Everyone has different ways of networking. Some people love coming to a mixer, but really talk to whatever local small business group you have and talk to them about, hey, here's what I need. I want to connect with folks because you might be a one-on-one -on -one connector who just wants maybe a personal introduction to a couple business owners in your chamber of commerce, whether it's working through one of their staff or a board of directors is a great way to get a one-on-one -on -one connection. And then you come to a networking event, maybe knowing one or two other people, and then they can help introduce you to other folks. So I would say just tell them what you're looking for and give them a sense of like how best you connect with folks. Are you a big group networker? Are you a one-on-one? -on -one? And they'll really help guide you, either them or sometimes we would refer folks to a business owner that says, hey, I think this will be a good Chamber of Commerce buddy to have that can help really bring you into the organization to connect you. Because it is, it's non-sucky networking. It's fun. They don't just have like stuffy networking events. There's sometimes fun events or we'd have volunteer opportunities that people are like, why would I volunteer? I'm like, no, it's actually good networking because you're doing something. You have a reason to interact with each other. So there's a ton of ways you can connect. Right. And I think it's one of those things, if it's something that's uncomfortable, maybe you just have to lean into it being uncomfortable for a little bit. I think that's a huge thing, doing uncomfortable things just to prove to yourself that you can do it and the confidence that that 
brings along with it. Because people ask, how do I get confident? I was like, you have to do scary stuff. Mm -hmm. You do scary stuff, you conquer it, and that's how you build the confidence. But let's talk about really why we're all here is let's talk about ice cream. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about your favorite flavors, because I've seen on your Instagram some of the flavors that you've developed for yourself. And then I also would like to have more ideas so I can steal them and produce them this year for our flavor calendar. So what are some of your favorite flavor combos that you're proud of and excited about? That's a hard question because I always say ice cream is the best dessert. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, I like to play with different flavors. So this summer I made a tarragon ice cream with a strawberry swirl, which I thought was fascinating and delicious. It's maybe not for everybody, but it really worked. I always love the classic s'mores flavor is probably one of my top. So chocolate ice cream with a marshmallow swirl and some big graham cracker chunks. I add a little smoked salt and I toast the meringue and I swirl it in there so you get that kind of campfirey flavor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, my rule is always really flavorful base, some sort of swirl, and then something crunchy. That makes the ideal ice cream. So, you like, yeah, you like the mix of textures and then like crunchy stuff to kind of complement the smooth, cold stuff. Exactly. So that's my favorite. And I like to push the boundaries of flavors. I made a corn ice cream with a peach swirl and cornbread chunks. So some flavors that might be a little off the wall, but the classics like chocolate and peanut butter too, like it can't go wrong with those. I know. Absolutely. Last year we jumped on the it's corn trend. You remember the corn kid on TikTok? Oh, yes. Where I was like, we need to just make an ice cream called it's corn. And we did. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And it tasted like a corn pudding, but also like cream corn, but it was sweet. And I thought it was magical. And so this year we upped it a notch and did a collab with one of our local chefs who is my mentor and she's an icon. Her name's Chef Wita Michael. She has nine or 10 food operations here in central Kentucky. And she has a bakery that makes these corn cookies and they're sweet and they're crunchy. Sometimes they're a little chewy. I think it depends on which batch you get. But I said, what if we smashed Chef Wita's corn cookie into our, it's corn ice cream and we'll just call it Wita's corn cookie. And it was amazing. And we actually entered it into Garden and Guns Made in the South Awards and made it to the finals, but still did not win. So we've been in the finals for probably, I can't, I've lost count, four or five times probably. But that flavor was definitely probably my favorite of 2023. Oh, I would love to taste that. That is right up my alley. We'll have to, yeah, I think we'll end up doing that one again just because it was my favorite. What are some other off-the-wall combos that you've done, either in ice cream or in baking or anything that you've cooked? So one of my other favorites, not really off-the-wall, but one of my favorite desserts is mango sticky rice. So I made a mango sticky rice ice cream. Ooh! <laughs> I toasted some rice and steeped that in the cream with some toasted coconut to get that kind of toasted rice flavor, added a good amount of salt, and then swirled it with like a fresh mango puree, and then made, I think I actually just crunched up some little like rice cakes because I was feeling lazy that day. I'm like, I'll just buy some from the store and crunch them up and put them in my ice cream. And it was shockingly delicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think because usually the sticky rice kind of has its own creamy taste mm -hmm. in the dessert. And so I'm trying to think how that translates 
into an ice cream because we've never put rice in an ice cream. I do love mango and sticky rice. I feel like you and I could sit in a room and you can you can bake fun stuff and then I can dream up ice cream flavors that we could do together. I do have a journal somewhere where I have brainstormed ice cream flavors because I, if there was ever a world where to open a small business, it would probably be an ice cream store. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Maybe one in Chicago because I love Chicago. <laughs> we need a new ice cream place. Maybe someday. Now that you're on this a little bit different path than you were two years ago, what are some big dreams that are filling your head right now? I really love teaching and developing recipes and sharing them with folks and especially exploring recipes or ideas that maybe haven't gotten the light of day. I'm working on to write a couple cookbooks because I'm almost a big cookbook reader. Like I love to just read them front to back, even if I make one recipe. I like to learn about food because it's again, like you always thinking about the next thing I'm going to eat or the <laughs> next place I want to travel to try their food. So that's really one of my goals is to keep teaching, whether that's in writing or teaching classes or doing podcasts or radio spots or TV spots, just to talk about how much I love food and shared how easy it is to make some of these things at home or to try some of these new flavors. So that's really one of my big dreams. One thing I spent time on before the show is thinking like, what do I have to add to the story? And one thing that I'm a big fan of is I have a big German heritage. From the Midwest, I didn't know what my heritage was. I was like, what's, what is my, don't, my food's not that exciting. <laughs> I love food from so many other cultures except my own. But then when I've, I visited Germany, there's a great bread culture there. And I love mm. some of their breads and a lot of them you can't find here. So exploring how to bring some of those recipes to the home baker in America if they like that bread culture, which I just learned is like a UNESCO World Heritage recognized culture. So that's something that I would love to do is bring some of those recipes over here. Well, you are definitely speaking all my love languages of bread and travel and culture. And I think you appreciate and understand how much food means to a place and to a culture and to different families. And I this I think that's why I love being in this industry so much. I would not say it's the most lucrative industry to be in, but <laughs> when you love something so much, it makes it easier to show up to work. And when you get to share that love and share something you create and get to create new fun things to share with other people. It really is something special. And I feel like if you want to be in the food industry, like go for it because if you really love it and it's something that is tapping on your brain nonstop, it's not going to stop until you actually try. And it's hard and again, not super lucrative, but when you love it, it can be something that's meaningful for your life. And so what are your thoughts on that in terms of being in the food business and seeing other small businesses from immigrant families or other people who also are in this industry? I think you said it. if you have a passion for it and you understand that, yes, you love it, but it's also going to be hard work, you can do it. If you're willing to put into the hours and effort and take those risks, I say go for it. If it's something that keeps you up at night or that you would be probably doing even if you didn't own the business like for me and my food writing like that's something I do anyway if I make a new recipe I'm going to sit down and write all my notes and write a little blurb about why I made this thing so I think I'm going to do this anyway I may as well work really hard to try to do it well so think about that and think also if you have something you're passionate about is this something that if I do it all the time is it going to 
take the joy out of it. Or if you work really hard, are you still going to have a little bit of joy when you give that ice cream cone to somebody and they have a huge smile on their face and that's going to keep you going? Just think about those things. And I always tell people too, starting a small business, it's not necessarily forever. It's something you try out. If it's something you love, keep it going. But for entrepreneurs, this is your, especially when it's just you, this is your creative outlet or your piece of value you're bringing into the world. And it doesn't have to be forever. You can always change your mind or change course later on when you think it's time. Absolutely. And so for our audience who wants to know more and learn more from you, where can they find you or how can other folks connect with you and everything that you're doing? Thanks for asking. The best place to follow me if you want my food and baking content is on Instagram. It's just my name, Martin Sorge. And I have a Substack newsletter called Great Bakes, and that's greatbakes.substack.com. You can also find me on martinbakes.com. And then if anybody's looking for economic development or kind of entrepreneurship-related consulting, my business is called Argyle Advising. It's at argyleadvising.com to learn more about that side of my life. And I love when folks connect to me, especially around baking on Instagram. Don't hesitate to say hi. Don't hesitate to comment. I love that stuff. It's really all about connecting and relationships on that front. And that's what we love is building community and finding other people who we can connect with and find community with. So thank you for sharing all that info. And thank you so much for being on the show today and for sharing all of your passions and your great, amazing advice, because we all could use all the advice as we're navigating life in entrepreneurship and small business. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me and for what you do. I see the value in what you do for so many entrepreneurs out there. Hi, friends. Thank you for being a part of this wonderful Crank and Boom podcast community. We have loved meeting you in this space every week, and we hope that we've been able to be a voice of encouragement in your ears as you pursue your own entrepreneurial dreams. I have loved seeing this dream of a podcast come to life, and it is more than I ever dreamed that it would be. And getting to interact with so many of you who have reached out and said that the show has helped you along the way has meant everything to me. One of the greatest parts of being an entrepreneur is the ability to change and shift as you need to better serve your business, your life, and your family. With that being said, I've decided to put the podcast on hiatus for a little while. As much as I hate to push pause, I'm listening to my own advice about how to balance priorities by taking a look at where I am needed the most. And right now, I need to focus on my family and also other parts of our business. I wish that I could clone myself, but alas, there's only one of me, so I have to pick and choose. Remember that all 40 plus episodes that have aired will live on wherever you listen to your podcast. So it's a great time to binge all the episodes that you might have missed along the way. You can also stay updated on all things Crank and Boom on all our social channels at Crank and Boom. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. We definitely have some fun and exciting things coming down the pipeline, so you don't want to miss it. And don't forget, we also have a subscription newsletter on Substack. It's another great way to connect with us. That's at crankandboom.substack.com. I want to thank you so much for following me on this journey. And I'm just so grateful that you have met me here every week to talk and to discuss all things entrepreneurship and 
trying to build the best life that we can together. I thank you so much for being a listener and being a part of this community. And I really hope that I get to hear from you soon. I love you all so much. Peace. This is a production of Four Eyes Media.